0: What's up, Hells fans? Welcome back to the Bird Rights Podcast, a subsidiary of SB Nation, pro quality from the fans' perspective. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are talking with real GM and NBA front offices, Keith Smith. What is up, Keith?
2: Hey, thanks for having me, man. I know we've been trying to arrange this one for a while, so I'm glad we finally got it worked out.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm super excited to have you on. Our listeners don't know this, but uh, I've been in touch with Keith for quite a while, and I am beyond excited uh, and thrilled to get the chance to chat about our pals with you. So thank you so much. But before we get to them, I just want to ask for all you guys' help. Please take a moment, go to iTunes, Stitcher, tune in, rate us, hit subscribe, leave a comment. We really appreciate your help. And as always, go to thebirdrights.com for all.
1: I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce such as Child Custody and Property Division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell, We're a partner men can count on.
0: Contact Cordell, Cordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. All the latest news. And, oh, and check back here Tuesday morning. Ali and I are going to be posting an exclusive interview with Pelicans Summer League head coach Jamel McMillan. But today, let's let's talk to Keith all about Rajon Rondo. Keith, it appears the Pelicans chose the, uh, the best possible moment to sign Rajon Rondo because the, the only other bit of news right now is Jonathan Simmons, Wimbledon, and maybe Game of Thrones. Uh, he's He has fallen very far from NBA grace due to spats with Carlisle, uh, Sacramento, Chicago before being waived just a month ago. However, he he played pretty well, uh, almost brought an eight seed to the first ever 4-0 sweep in a round one against a one seed. Are you surprised it's taken Rondo this long to get a worthwhile look from a team? And what was your initial reaction when you heard uh, Dempson Gentry had traveled to Kentucky to meet with him?
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised it took this long. He is, he's a difficult guy to fit in because he's a ball dominant point guard who can't shoot at all. So, from what we've seen so far is those are the guys who are not really drawing a lot of interest on the free agent market people really don't have a lot of a desire to pay those type of players they want to make sure that if their point guard's going to be leading the offense that he's not
1: a liability
2: as well with lack of shooting so that's where rondo fits he's also on the older side now he's got 11 years in the nba which is hard to believe uh, for someone who remembers him as a rookie with the celtics so you know, it doesn't surprise me. As far as I'm going to meet with them, that doesn't really shock me either. That tends to be what happens, especially at this point in free agency when there are very few, call it impact players left on the market. The front office and coaching staff tend to make them a priority and go out to meet with them. So that doesn't really surprise me.
0: Uh, I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Obviously, I agree with everything you said. But just to give it the other side of the cone, uh, I wanted to dispute this notion of uh, past first point guards not being desirable on the NBA market because we saw Ricky Rubio go for a lot lottery- of lottery protected first obviously they were trying to offload his salary to sign Jeff Teague at the time but Utah was very interested in his services and if i showed you their per 36 numbers they're very similar uh both were 11 and 9 and uh Rondo actually shot better from 3 37% to 30 on a small sample size rebounded better um minimized his turnovers a little bit better their numbers appear to be completely identical uh, are you surprised that Ricky Rubio went for uh, a first-round pick and Rajon Rondo is kind of a, what's left at this point in free agency? Yeah,
2: I'm not entirely surprised because Rubio,
0: being under contract,
2: you have to give something to get something, essentially. And ultimately for Ricky Rubio, too, he's still seen as an elite-level ball handler and a elite passer, as well as a near-elite defender, where Rondo... Despite the numbers being close, that's not where he is seen anymore. He's seen as, you know, maybe a notch below. So I think Rubio has slightly more value, which is, you know, in, in slightly more value and being under contract, which is what drives him to be uh, pushed there to, um, you know, give return a first-round pick in return outside of Rondo just being signed as a free agent.
0: There's a lot of talk in New Orleans right now, a lot of joking uh, back and forth about how the Pelicans just signed a point guard to a $126 million deal. Talk about uh, Rajon Rondo's fit in New Orleans. Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry have already expressed uh, that they like Drew Holiday playing off ball, uh, being more aggressive as a scorer. How do you see these two guys playing together?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see Holiday slide over to the two the Pelicans, some of their better lineups last year were when the Pelicans played Holiday and Tim Frazier together. Um, that actually was a combo that worked pretty good. So what they ended up doing there was now, or what they're doing is they're bringing in Rondo. Rondo did not sign there to come off the bench, at least not for any long-term um, idea at this point. So what they're going to look to do is put Rondo on the starting side, slide Holiday over to the two, which actually helps the Pelicans on the wing where they really just don't have a lot of depth. So that'll help them out there some. And, and those two guys, they'll play together. And they, and it's, it's calling Holiday a two. They're really just both going to be guards. And we've seen a lot of um, teams in recent have a lot of success when they run almost these dual point guard lineups. And both of them are able to break down the defense, get into the paint, which will help both DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, whether it be on kickout passes or dump-off passes near the basket that get them set up, you know, quite well inside. So I, I like the way they're going. I think it'll be, be an interesting look once they can really get things figured out and get everybody comfortable with it. But that's something to worry about over the rest of the summer and into uh, training camp.
0: I want to talk about what you just said about the the dual point guard lineups and that seeming to be where the league is going in a lot of different cities. The whole uh, purpose behind bringing in Denver's uh, assistant head coach, Chris Finch, was this idea of a point boogie system, uh, similar to the one they have with Nikola Jokic over in Denver. Uh, Do you think it's going to be difficult for Drew Holiday, Rajon Rondo, and DeMarcus Cousins to all three pilot the offense? Or do you think they're going to have to stagger the three of them in separate lineups and rotations?
2: Yeah, I think you'll see some staggering done where they'll always probably make sure, my guess is Alvin Gentry will make sure they have two of the four on the floor at all times, which is going to be big for a team that is depth-challenged. That'll make a big deal and hopefully give them the ability to really um, keep good players on board and continue to go after it so that's going to be be big for them so i think that'll make a lot of sense for them to to do that staggering of their lineups as opposed to you know just playing you know straight reserves which the Pelicans simply do not have the depth to get away with
0: now I, I don't want to get dark for a moment here, but I want to I want to ask your honest opinion. Del Demps and Alvin Gentry talked about Rajon Rondo as, as being a leader, as having, you know, great postseason experience and championship experience either uh, also. And uh, his locker room presence is going to be big here. DeMarcus Cousins called him uh, a big brother from their time in Sacramento. And I, I don't want to express any opinions. I want to lead that to you, but I just want to read you a couple of things. Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm judging anyone's character, just reading reports Boogie once yelled at Mike Malone, F this man, I'm not running in practice. He told Tyrone Corbin, uh, why don't we play the film of all this mother effer's mistake? Boogie called reporter Andy Farrillo an effing coward. He was sued 75 grand for an entanglement in NYC with Matt Barnes. Uh, wasn't arrested, but he was with his brother when his brother was arrested. Kicked off a team flight. It goes on and on. 96 technical fouls in six seasons. Last year, things seemed to look up in New Orleans with Anthony Davis at his side, Del set his side, Alvin Gentry at his side. He calls Rajon Rondo a brother and was said to have been pivotal in recruiting him. However, Rajon Rondo famously did not receive a playoff share with the Mavericks, uh, was was sat with an undisclosed injury that may or may not have existed. He was suspended with the Kings for an awful thing he said to referee Bill Kennedy. And then in just December of this past year, he was suspended by the Bulls. Keeping Boogie productive and happy is not only good for the Pellas long-terms in regards to resigning him, but while while this might be the right answer on the court, it could be a bad one off the court. Where do you stand with putting the two of these guys back together in a locker room?
2: Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I think any of the on-the-court stuff, and that includes you know things in practice or... You know, getting into it with coaches. Both of these guys are supremely competitive, so I think what you're seeing there is you've got two guys who are, like I said, supremely competitive, sick and tired of losing ball games. They don't want to go through that anymore. So I think what you're ultimately seeing now is you've got these two guys who they just want to win. So that leads to a lot of that aggravation, a lot of the infighting, a lot of the, you know, arguing back and forth and those kind of things. And that that yeah, you know, while you, you certainly don't want to see that, it's not the end of the world. Now, the off-the-court stuff, the true off-the-court, you know, getting in trouble with law and of those kind of things, you hope that that's just more of a maturity thing and they'll get those things figured out. And that's going to be something that, you know, they, both the front office and the coaching staff, they're just going to have to work through that and sure that those two um, are, are smart off-the-court as well um, because you really don't want to throw anything away by, you know, good on production by being idiots off the
0: court. All right. Now, uh, you spoke about this earlier, Alvin Gentry and Del Dems flying to Rajan Rondo's home in Louisville. You said you weren't really surprised. I don't know too much about Summer League. I haven't been myself. However, I assume that it's... It's it's crucial because it's an opportunity to to scout for young talent, uh, assess your own young talent, maybe scout for young coaching talent, and uh, potentially engage in like trade discussions, meet with agents, discuss player transactions, all that sort of stuff. Does it bother you that they left Las Vegas in the middle of summer leagues to do this? It
2: doesn't. They were big they were, so a couple reasons why, and I just got back from from Las Vegas myself. So a couple of big things with summer league is. Every team has a host of people there. They generally have the entire coaching staff, large chunks of the front office staff, so it's usually a minimum of the general manager, assistant general manager, high-level scout, and, you know, other than the international scouts who might be off, be off at some of the international tournaments into the, uh the lower-level guys who might be you know, off scouting some college events and those kind of things. Those guys are all... They're all there so for a couple people to walk away not the end of the world because everyone else is is in the facility and it's, it's a common phrase that's used in the mba everyone's only a phone call away so that's all it takes is a quick phone call to say hey what's going on let's have this conversation because it gets a little overblown when you think about it in season people aren't together you know they're they're not all hanging around in the same cities you know, doing the same kind of thing. And, you know, we're getting to the point in free agency where rosters are, you, you hesitate to call them set, but rosters are getting very close to that point. And that's where the, um, you know, agents and, it, and scouts and coaches and front office folks, they're really scrambling for those back-end roster filler camp body type of guys versus anything major.
0: I guess the reason I I bring this up, uh, these are all fantastic points, I I really like the idea, everybody's only a phone call away. The reason I bring this up is because during All-Star Week last year, um, it was reported that Del Demps not so coincidentally bumped into Boogie Cousins on Bourbon Street, and then he obviously had a lot of uh, time to sit down with Lottie Devok. And go over the parameters of the trade. You don't think uh, that's that's something he might have potentially missed on in summer league? Obviously, the the Pelicans are almost hard captain, and and trades are are the only real way of improving the roster at this point. You don't think he missed out on any of that? No, I don't. Only because
2: again, it's different as you're approaching. You know, the All Star break is approaching the trade deadline. It was. Now, that's been changed in this upcoming season. The trade deadline will come before the All-Star break. But at that point, it was really you're more under the gun. There's a lot more pressure. We've got to get something done. So having people face-to-face there really matters. Face-to-face at the Summer League, I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt things. But again, there. But other than maybe Carmelo Anthony getting dealt somewhere, we're not likely to see any form of big trade go down at this point. Like I said, most teams are they're finishing out their rosters versus looking to make any big swings this late in the summer.
0: I'm so glad that you brought up the Carmelo deal because that's that's something I wanted to get to in a moment. But uh the Pelicans were rumored to be part of this this four-way trade with Houston and New York and Phoenix and obviously with Steve Perry in the mix. Uh they have paused their negotiations, but that's one of the uh things I was talking about with um possibly, you know, meeting with Daryl Morey and the guys from Phoenix about potentially getting into that four-team trade. Uh just to touch on that while we're still here. Obviously, that deal has been paused, as I just said. But do you think once they re-enter negotiations uh, with Carmelo still, according to reports, assuming that he's going to end up in Houston, do you think the Pelicans are still a part of that deal?
2: You know, we'll have to see where that goes. The The tricky part is what you're looking for there for the Pelicans is you're trying to get out of some, you know, maybe bad money, uh, maybe Omer Asik or Alexis Agensa, and get them moved off your roster in order to help facilitate a trade by taking in somebody else. Um, it's very hard to imagine that there's, you know, going to be a fourth team in that trade that doesn't want to do that. So, you know, I always like to say it's best to keep these things simple. When you start turning them into three and 14 trades, they get wildly complicated And hard to figure out. So at this point, it's probably best to just take a wait and see approach and see where it goes. Because, I mean, sure, you can hop on a trade machine and make any number of combinations happen, but how likely they are is what really matters here.
0: Uh, To touch on another trade, Basketball Insider's Mike Mike Scotto uh, reported that the Pelicans were close to a deal for Reggie Jackson, uh, for Etoan Morn, and Alexis Aginsa, with the Rondos signing. Those talks are uh, now dead, correct?
2: Yeah, I would assume. I, I had talked to a few people, and you know, Mike is as connected as anybody, so I definitely trust his rapport. There were a few people who didn't fully understand what the Pistons were going to get out of that side of it because they weren't really going to upgrade, nor were they going to clear a lot of money. So there was a lot of um, you know question of what, why would they do this um, from their point of view. Um, You know, so I would, but I would assume at this point, I think the Pelicans, you know, they may add a veteran at the minimum or for what's left of the uh, non-taxpayer exception is potentially out there. But other than that, I think you're likely to see their roster pretty much is what it is as we get ready to um, take a little bit of a break here in August and then get into training camp in September.
0: You are the salary cap expert, and you were just talking on some of the options that the Pelicans have. Um, according to our resources, the Pelicans only had about two and a half to four and a half million of their mid-level exception left to sign Rajon Rondo after giving some of it to uh, rookie Frank Jackson. Uh, there's not a lot of flexibility. We're already at 15 guys, although five of those are unguaranteed contracts, like Darius Miller, uh, uh Check Diallo, Quinn Cook, and so on and so forth. Uh, where do you see the Pelicans? targeting some potential help under those restrictions you just mentioned. Do you do you have your eye on anyone in particular who can help them at this point?
2: There's not anyone necessarily in particular that I have my eye on, but I do think that they would love to bring in another wing player. I think James Young, the hope was that he would have played better in Summer League. And had he done that, he may have landed a spot um, with the Pelicans, as uh, someone who could play both the two and the three and provide a little bit of outside shooting. There's the potential they could get involved with a guy like Gerald Green for the Celtics had to let go to clear cap space if he was willing to come in for the minimum. Alan Anderson, another player, long-term veteran, could come in for the minimum. Maybe Anthony Morrow if they really wanted to just add a shooter, which seems to be the biggest need on the roster. So if they wanted to go in those directions, those guys are all certainly options that would make sense that could come in for the league minimum and not push them too far. Um, toward that tax line um, where we we know they don't really want to be.
0: Yeah, uh, I was just going to mention, according to Jake Madison with Bourbon Street shot, uh, Shots, the Pelicans don't see themselves as above a seven seed right now, and uh, our owner Tom Benson is not willing to pay the luxury tax unless they're competing for a title. However, they do have the uh, trade exception still handy from the Buddy Heald deal last year, and some of the mo- more likely prospects, uh, Noah Vonley, it's getting... Pretty crowded at that position in Portland with the new uh, center they just drafted. Troy Daniels with Memphis and James Ennis. They're uh, almost in rebuilding mode at this moment. Malcolm Delaney in Atlanta. Uh, Will Barton or Emmanuel Mudiay in Denver. Doug McDermott in Oklahoma City. Thomas Sadoransky now falling behind. Tim Frazier in the lineup. And Seth Curry, Lucas Nogira, and Emmanuel Mudiay. Do you see the Pelicans targeting any of these guys with the exception they still have?
2: Yeah, a guy like Troy Daniels could make a lot of sense because he would fit right into uh, the trade exception that was created in the Buddy Heald trade. So he could be a guy that they could go after to bring in. They also have a $2 million trade exception from the Tim Frazier trade uh, just around the NBA draft time where he was sent to Washington. Now, that that guy, you're going to have to bring in someone who's making close to the minimum there, slightly above that. So that's another option. But, you know, I... It's it's hard to know exactly where they want to go. All I know is I was told um, repeatedly in Vegas that they, they are obviously at this point very unsure about Quincy Pondexter and whether he'll ever take the court again. So they would like to add another wing shooter if they can. But that, again, it goes back to what we said before. They weren't going to go too crazy to do it because they do not want to get into a point where they're a luxury tax team.
0: And just for clarification, I think I already know the answer, but you're the expert. The Pelicans have a $3.5 million trade exception, a $2 million trade exception. They have all these unguaranteed contracts, like I mentioned before, like Cook and Diallo. It's it's not possible to combine any of these packages and go after, say, like a, a $10 million contract with uh, 5 million unguaranteed contracts coupled with the $5 million in trade exceptions, is it?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and it is not. You can combine all of the non-guaranteed contracts and get them up to whatever that number gets you up to, probably around $5 million or so, but the trade exceptions have to be used by themselves. You cannot put aggregate is the term the NBA uses in the CBA. In the NBA operations manual, they, they cannot be aggregated together or, you know, to put it in layman's terms. They can't be combined together to bring in a higher price player. They have to be used individually.
0: Now, the Pelicans do have a little bit of flexibility in that they have the bird rights still tied to Dante Cunningham uh, after having lost the bird rights on Omri Caspi. Do you think they capitalize on that, being so close to the cap at this point?
2: You know, there's a big part of me that says, I hope not. I'm just not a big Dante Cunningham guy, and, I, and I'm afraid if he's there, they're going to play him over some guys that they should. You know, if they if they committed to bringing Cunningham only in as a backup four man, then I think he has some value. It's when they start messing around and playing him at the three that I just, I don't think he's a valuable player in that position. And even at the four, I'd rather see them give those minutes to check the hollow and really find out what you have there. But, you know, all of that said, I think there is the opportunity that they could bring him back. His market has been very dry. Um, there's no one beating down his door to try and sign him. So I think, you know, that, that potential certainly exists that he could be back in New Orleans next year.
0: He's obviously not a starter in the NBA. However, his three-point shooting went up. He was about 40% last year. He's got a lot of energy on defense. And the reason I bring this up is because, uh, obviously, we want to give Diallo some minutes. However, uh, everybody was talking about his defensive on-court awareness, uh, that it it was vitally lacking. He was getting confused on pick and rolls and on switching. Offensively, he looked like a juggernaut. But defensively, he just hasn't put it all together yet. And behind AD and Cousins, other than Cunningham, all you have at this point is uh, Omer Ashick and uh, Alexis Ajinsa. And I think most Pelicans fans are hoping these guys don't even see the court this year. Do you Do you think there's um, a possibility that we bring in Cunningham instead of these guys? Or do you think Ashick and Aginsa might see the court this season in a meaningful, like, 10 minutes per game role? Yeah,
2: I think there's a chance one of the two of them could play a little bit here and there, you know, I think what they'll do more likely is when Cousins or Davis needs to go out, I think they're going to do their best to make sure one of the two is on the floor at all times. And they'll essentially back each other up in that way, playing the five spot. But I, I think you you could see but probably more likely just the way things have gone over the last couple of years, that Ajinsa could probably play a little bit more than Asik. Um, You know, I just, I, I have a hard time seeing either one of them making a you know any sort of a positive impact. At best you're hoping they're a net neutral player and you don't drop off and lose much. That didn't really hope that Donatus Mata Yunus had, you know, would have panned out because the hope was bring him in and then re sign him this summer. But he obviously did not pan out. It did not play well and now seems to be no longer part of the plan. So I think Dante Cunningham, that all bodes well in his favor and at this point he may come back and say you know i can take a little bit more money than i can make elsewhere come back here you know try and you know see where things go and then get back on the market again next summer
0: that's a really uh sad situation you brought up with donatas montiunas uh i i saw a report that he's now uh filing a lawsuit against the nba after having lost out on that contract that brooklyn signed him to and then he was then failing to show up for the physical so ugly situation and he, he, by all accounts, is a great guy, so certainly wish him the best. I want to talk Summer League for just a moment. You said you just came from Vegas. Did you get a chance yep. to see Quinn Cook and Check Diallo play? And if so, what was your takeaway? I did. I saw both of them play. Um, you yeah, know,
2: not a lot, but, you yeah, know, I got to see both of them play at various points. They, you know, they both looked pretty good. I thought, um, you know, Cook, he, it, it's, Right now at this point, I think he still is a little bit more of a score first kind of guy than he is a playmaker at the point guard position. Um so you know, so that, that can be a little tricky. It's also always hard to know what players are being asked to do in summer league. Um for example, I know there's a prominent player who people have been grousing about how much he's been shooting, but I know you know firsthand that his coaching staff said, we want you to shoot it every time you touch it. So you can't really blame the guy for going out and doing exactly what his coaching staff is asking him to do. So that's kind of where cook is. We'll have to see. Diallo impressed me quite a bit. He, you know, he's, he's got that good athletic body. He can get up and down the floor. He can make plays inside around the rim he's you know trying to add range on his jumper you know we'll see where that ultimately goes um with that summer league's a good place for a guy like him because he does hustle and he is a hard worker so guys can make a lot of things happen just by by doing that just by you know hustling and running the floor so we'll ultimately see where he lands and you know you mentioned it before his defense still needs work he struggles with some of the fundamentals of defense at times so we'll ultimately see where he lands but feels like this is gonna be a fairly big year for him as a sophomore heading into the NBA because he's then looking at a uh a partially guaranteed contract for the twenty eighteen-19 season. If he doesn't show real progress this year, we could see the Pelicans either use him as trade ballast in the trade or just move on from him entirely.
0: Last question. Uh let's get your prediction on where the Pelicans finish in the Western Conference.
2: Oh geez, um <laughs> You <laughs> know, I'm still still putting all that together in my own head here, but uh, just off the top of my head, you've got Golden State, Houston, uh, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City probably in the top four. Then Utah, Portland, Minnesota, Denver, New Orleans, Memphis. That's really the, the mix behind that. The only teams at this point that I cannot see being playoff teams and the Clippers, sorry, I shouldn't have left them out of that group, are the Lakers, Suns, and Mavericks, and you know the Kings would have to have everything break right for them, you know. So I think they're going to be in the mix, some anywhere from five to twelve, I guess, or five to eleven. Um, it, it's you know it's so hard to know with those teams because they've all they've all got their you know clear strengths and weaknesses, and you know for New Orleans it's going to be important that they figure out how to take advantage of. Cousins and Davis, because if they can figure that out, there's not a team in the NBA that can come close to matching the big man tandem like that. There's just, you know, I know Denver added uh, Paul Millsap to Nikola Jokic, and that's that's a nice combo, but it's not it's not a boogie in the brow. So, you know, we'll ultimately see where that lands, but that's, they, they, they're going to be in the mix for the playoffs. I think. I, I you feel know, like their wing depth probably is what ultimately costs them a spot and we will drop them, you know, just out of it. But but we'll see where it goes because they, they still have the opportunity to address that before the start of the season.
0: Keith Smith, you guys can follow him at Keith Smith NBA. Uh, he writes for Real GM. You can also download his podcast NBA Front Office. He is a salary cap expert, a great follow. You can learn all the greatest transactions or latest transaction, I should say, and greatest. Uh, I was just following uh, a few of them over on Twitter right now, talking about some guys who are signing in, in other leagues across the world. So Keith Smith always has his finger on the pulse of the NBA and other basketball associations. Keith, uh, plug yourself for a minute. What kind of stuff can we find on real GM coming up?
2: Yeah, well, you can find on real GM, uh, hopefully at the beginning part of this week, I will have a summer league wrap up. I'm going to look, look kind of at what all the, the main guys that we're all concerned about, all the lottery picks from this year's draft, some of the big second-year guys. We're really going to get into all that and then really uh, talk about how they looked in the summer leagues and probably um, overreact <laughs> to you know what they did in uh, Orlando, Utah, and Las Vegas over the last couple of weeks. But it's you know it's definitely something that's that's fun to do at this point in the year. And then we will um, coming up after that. It's where as the off-season wraps up the roster settle and we'll definitely do some uh, off-season ramp-ups and look at where teams are sitting and recap their off-seasons. My front office podcast, uh, thank you for plugging that. That's coming back this weekend. We're going to record an episode later tonight and we'll get that posted and we're just going to go through all 30 teams. We're going to talk every single guy in, every single guy out, and what the roster is shaping up to look like at this point in the off-season.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for taking the time. I didn't realize you were doing that later tonight. Uh, It's been a real thrill, a long time in the making, worth every moment. I would love to do this again. I know how busy your schedule is. Uh, Whenever you have the time, you're always a friend to this podcast. Uh, What a pleasure. Again, tomorrow to you guys, you can download our interview with Summer League head coach Jamel McMillan. So don't forget to look for that. And as always, if you have a second, leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Keith. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's go, pals.
1: The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah.
2: That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
1: Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led
0: by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know
1: it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.